Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Worship, thank you guys. Thank you, team. I remember singing that song when I was little, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And, and just uh, remember the, those environments, especially when we went a cappella, right, back there. It just would erupt and all of these harmonies coming. But what, what a wonderful prayer. And... and um, positioning for each of us this morning. I I did want to reiterate uh, that announcement of saying thank you for those of you who gave for camp scholarships. It was amazing. We took that group of young people into an environment where they could get their first girlfriend. How many of you guys got your first girlfriend at, at school? I mean, at camp. Got your first kiss. First boyfriend. Yeah, then the altar time, right? Then the altar time. Oh, God. I made a mistake last year. I challenged our students. I said, hey, if any of you guys could get a girlfriend, I'll give you five bucks to get her an Italian soda. I forgot how emotional students are. It was terrible trying to pull them away from each other. I'm like, hey, just easy now. They thought they were going to get married after a couple of days at camp. I'm not kidding. But to finish that, thank you to be able to pray with students up front who are asking freedom from what was hold, they were holding on to or, or seeing young people say, I want to surrender everything. It, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And you remember because you did that at one time, many of you yourselves. Well, we are in historic days. Yesterday as I was preparing this message, the Mariners won their 13th game. I mean, that just doesn't happen. In 21 years, this has not happened. Now, i got to tell you, I can't name one of the Mariners players who are playing right now. Back in the day, I could recite them all. Joey Cora, remember? You'd go over and hop on, on second base. You had Alex Rodriguez. You had, of course, Ken Griffey Jr. You had all, all of those guys. But, but we're in historic days. Historic days. Now... How many of you believe in miracles? <laughs> We're seeing one. I don't know how long they'll continue, but it's quite something to see all these millionaire young people hit a ball around a field and, and the world watches, or at least Seattle does right now. So what does this have to do with the sermon today? I know you didn't come here to talk about the Mariners, but just a minute, just a minute. Baseball is recorded in the Bible. It starts with this, in the big inning. In the big inning. Not only that, Eve stole first. Adam stole second. Cain struck out Abel. Uh, Cain struck out Abel. Rebecca took the pitcher to the well. David struck out Goliath. Abraham wanted to make a sacrifice. And the prodigal son made a home run. How's that? It's all in the Bible, you guys. It's all in the Bible. Well, it's, it is my privilege to pinch hit for Pastor Barry this morning in the series on Genesis. And, uh, and as we do, this topic in the beginning, God's big plan for us in these first three chapters, we're continuing today. Last week, Pastor Barry discussed that the story of creation provides an anchor for our faith as we consider God's plan from the beginning. 
He talked about how creation reveals God's eternal purpose and how our proper response to creation is worship. This morning, I'd like to draw our attention to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And I wonder if you can find the key words here. And if you would read this with me, okay? Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that moves along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Let us make man in our image. In Latin, it's imago Dei. This is quite a packed um, words, uh, group of, of words that books have been written and theologians have talked eloquently on this. Last week, Pastor Barry uh, quickly mentioned that these verses uh, contain God's divine plan. When he said, let us make man. His divine pattern when he said in our image and our divine purpose to have dominion. This plan and this pattern and this purpose truly is incredible. And it's how we were made in his image. The idea is that when God wanted to make something in all of creation to be like him and represent him and carry out his work in the world he made, man, we are different from all other creation, we are unique, loved in a special way. And it's for this very reason that Satan, since chapter 3 in Genesis, has been waging a war against mankind. The image of God in man compels us to think about certain issues in, in a very special way, like the sanctity of human life. That's why the issue of abortion is important to us and should be. Because we are created in his image, as well as the follow-up needs like adoption and foster care and helping single moms. We are called to do good. We are called to support those who are going through tough times, the homeless kids that we support through the Nourishing Network. Families without food, the food banks we support, refugees, and there was one this morning here from the Ukraine. Those hurting and those who are broken. As the scripture says, that we are as workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Because we have the image of God and we carry on his goodness to the world. Every week we pray the verse, and we prayed it today in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. As we look up and down Highway 99 and see the news reports. Well, how is that supposed to happen? It's you and I reflecting the image of God. Scripture puts it this way. There's Christ in you. There's the hope, and there's the glory. That's God's plan and pattern and purpose. 
The image of God, what is it? In Hebrew, it's, uh, and I'm certainly no Hebrew scholar, but in researching this, the, the word means likeness or resembling. God has placed within man a shadow or representation of his function, of his goal, his purpose, his thought. It's our responsibility then to live as representatives of God, acting in the same manners as he would. Interesting that when the camera was being developed back then, the, the word that the people over in Israel use for camera comes from this root word of image. Well, I appreciate how N.T. Wright, if you've ever heard of N.T. Wright, he is a, he's a theologian, a New Testament scholar, an Anglican bishop. He was the, um, the bishop of Durham. And when he talks about the image of God, he uses an illustration that he likes to use. So I thought, wow, that's a great idea. So I'm going to bring it. It's a, it's, it's a mirror. And I'm sorry for those of you whose lights are... Uh, You know, it's just a different perspective. You know, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. But that's the perspective that God has. So when, when N.T. Wright talks about this angled mirror, it, not just a mirror that you look into and you say, can I see God in that? But an angled mirror that God looks through his creation, through mankind, the image of God. He mentions that as a small boy when he was sick and laying in his bed, his mom would open up the door and put a mirror just like this at the end of the hall that would reflect into the kitchen so that he wouldn't feel so isolated and alone. He could see the image or the reflection. The point about the angled mirror is that you can see in both directions, and N.T. Wright suggests that God has placed humans like an angled mirror in this world so that he can reflect through you and me his love and his care and his stewardship through us so that the rest of the world can then praise him. You know, the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. We represent God to the world, that we bring the the worship and praise back to God. That's what was so beautiful about the song we sang. I love you, Lord. It's why how we live our lives is so important, especially those who are called by his name. How we treat our neighbors, how we are stewards of this earth, how we conduct our business. We carry the image of God outward to the world around us. I'm concerned that many of us who call themselves by his name, image bearers, that we aren't doing such a good job Reflecting his image to the world. In fact, just after this first service, someone came to me and said, I have a family member, my son, he wants nothing to do with the church because he's looked at those within the church and say they don't look like what, who they're supposed to. I said, yeah, we have a job to do, don't we? We need to reflect. Well, they don't necessarily want to come to a church anymore. People outside, they, they don't care about what's going on in the church and may not until you and I recapture our intended purposes of reflecting God to the world. The image of God has been forgotten. 
So what happened? How has this image of God been forgotten? Paul, uh, we read about it right away in Genesis chapter 3. But Paul gives a good summary of his letter to the Romans, and he says this. They, mankind, God's created ones and made in his image, they knew the truth of God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and his divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And we read about this from Genesis 3 all the way through. And the world is broken around us, and you've seen it. This week I was driving home, and on my way home I needed to stop by Fred Meyer. We live uh, in northern Linwood, so 164th Fred Meyer is the one that we go to. But on my way there on, on, uh, on Wednesday, I believe, there was, a, there was a rerouting. The police were there. I'm like, what's going on? You know, construction or something in between here. And we had to go all the way around. It took forever to get back, and... As I'm calling my wife, Donita, I'm like, hey, had to get rerouted. And she said, well, there was a shooting. 15 and 16-year-old kids are in the hospital right now. I go. And then the next day, just a couple of blocks away, two young people were shot and killed in a park by a drive-by shooting. You've seen it. War, abuse, alcoholism, rape, broken families, homelessness, drug addiction, murder. All of this a result of mankind forgetting who they are and why they were created. There's evil in the world, isn't there? But what can we do about it? As image bearers and reflectors of God, what should we do? What can we do? Growing up, I heard a story that my dad shared. Dad was a pastor, and I I think this was in the 80s because Ronald Reagan shared this story at a national prayer breakfast. So dad shared it with us, and I had forgotten it until more recently I shared it with uh, a student gathering of of a multi-church gathering that we're doing every few months. And then I shared it with our staff here, and I want to share it with you because what difference can it make when somebody stands up? The story goes back to the fourth century of a little monk known as Telemachus. And Telemachus was working in his little garden, and that's what monks do. They were growing their sustenance, and they were people of prayer. And and as he was doing his thing, he heard a voice that said, go to Rome. 
and wanting to be faithful to what he felt was a leading of the Holy Spirit. He put down his tools and he, he started his long walk towards Rome. And for weeks, he walked and made his way. And as he came to Rome and to that great city, he, he was caught up in the crowds. And as they were making their way, bustling over to the Colosseum, it was a time of festival at Rome. And they were celebrating a triumph over the Goths. So he followed the crowd into the Colosseum. And then there in the midst of the great crowd uh, coming out from the, from the bottom doors, he sees men wearing uh, wearing armor and, and holding their swords or their spears. And interestingly enough, our family just had the opportunity to go to Portugal and we drove over to Spain. And in Spain, there's a, in Seville, Sevilla, there's a, a Colosseum. And as we walked through, we saw where the gladiators would come out. And we saw over in the middle of the Colosseum, we saw the place where the emperor would sit. And the historian says that as the gladiators would come for, forth, they would stand before the emperor and say, we who are about to die salute you. Telemachus all of a sudden realized that these men were going to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowds. And he cried out from the very top as he made his way. Thousands of people filled this the stadium and as he made his way up to the top and he found his place saw what was going on in his shock and horror at seeing the image of God doing this to each other he he cries out in the name of Jesus stop well no one could hear this little man shouting out and the ones closest would just make fun of him and but he stood up and he said in the name of Jesus stop and he started to make his way down into the, down the steps, the marble steps of the Colosseum until finally he made it down into the, the dirt ring. And he cries out, in the name of Jesus, stop. Well, the, the audience just figures that this is part of the show. And they start laughing and making fun. And then he gets between these gladiators and he separates them and says, in the name of Jesus, stop. Well, the crowd didn't like that one bit. They had a... Th a thirst for blood. So he started booing and giving that, that signal and shouting at the gladiator to run him through with the spear. And one of the gladiators takes a spear and runs Telemachus through. And the last words that a whisper could be heard was, in the name of Christ, stop. And suddenly a strange thing happened. In the quietness of that stadium, one individual got up and he walks out the exit. And then a couple over here stand up and they, they walk out in the hush. And then a section here and then pretty soon everyone started to file out. And the gladiator stood looking at this tiny form lying in his own blood and and they dropped their weapons and they walked out in the dead silence everyone left the Colosseum and that was the last gladiator fight that took place in Roman Colosseums never again did men kill each other for the entertainment 
the crowd. One tiny voice that could finally be heard among the fray. In the name of Christ, stop. It's something we could be saying to the world in which we live today. Telemachus did not say, in the name of decency, stop. He didn't say, in my opinion, we should stop. Or if you don't stop this, you're going to burn in hell. He didn't say, I'm the founder of the monks of morality, so you need to stop. He simply said, in the name of Christ, stop. And the Holy Spirit did the rest. God deserves the credit. But he used an individual just like you, whose name was Telemachus. And God's Holy Spirit touched the heart of every person who silently left. Telemachus just played his role in the scene God wrote, the image of God forgotten. Well, let's move on to the image of God remembered. God didn't ever abandon this plan of mankind being a reflection of who he is to the world. I have three areas here where where God's image is remembered. And the first one is, is through creation. And I read it earlier that they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I really enjoy the topic of uh, intelligent design. It's just fascinating to me how things work and, and the design that's in it from the leaf to the flower to, to other things. And I found a picture that for me best sums up the idea of intelligent design. How about this? Don't be absurd, one snowman says to the other. Nobody made us. We evolved by chance from snowflakes. <laughs> of course, it's sarcastic because we were obviously designed in such an amazing way. The second area that I find fascinating how God has revealed himself is through culture. Back in the 1980s, a guy named Don Richardson, who was a missionary, he wrote a book called Peace Child, and another book he wrote was called Eternity in Their Hearts, based upon Ephesians 3.11, which says God has placed, has set eternity in the hearts of men, or a hint of himself. And in his book, he talks about how so many folk or tribal religions have this hint that God has placed into their culture. And he gives tremendous stories about this. But there's seven, seven uh, different ways that in cultures, as you learn about their history, you may find one of these in there. And the, number one is the fact of God's existence, that there's a supreme God, but we may not know him anymore. Number two, there's a creation of mankind. In fact, I, I was just looking up about the Chippewa, the Native Americans who live in the Michigan area. They have a story, and in their story, um, the creator ha- has come, and he, he's a little bored, and, and um, he's sitting alone in the darkness thinking, what should he do? So from the soil, this is their story, from the soil, he formed two companions, a man and a woman. And he told them to go take care of the earth in which he placed them. 
In the Philippines, there's a group called the, the Tagalog, and, and they have a story of a bamboo that, that hits a bird, and, and the bird becomes really angry, and he pecks at that piece of bamboo, and from the bamboo, there's a man and a woman. And they marry, and from them come all of the cultures and races on the earth. It's fascinating. Also, uh, Don Richardson suggests that there's a rebellion in a fall of man. There's a need for a sacrifice to appease God. And that's the book, The Peace Child, if you ever get a chance to read it. There's a great flood or the sudden appearance of many languages and dispersions of people. The Chinese have a language that's over 4,500 years old. And could it be that around that tower of Babel or Babel, that they carried with them the stories into their culture? I have two pictures here of their language. As you know, in the Chinese language, it's made up of pictures. And so the word for boat in the Chinese language comes from these three pictures. There's a vessel you see on the left, eight, and then people. Vessel with eight people. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters. Huh. There's another word for righteousness. And this word of righteousness, the upper part of that, uh, the one on the right, you see the, the first character is me. While the, or the lower part of that word is me, but above that is the word for lamb or sheep. It can be interpreted as I am righteous under the lamb. Or the lamb who covers me made me righteous. The lamb covered me and I became righteous in him. Fascinating. I have friends who were missionaries in China and on the plane to or from China, they would talk to their neighbors who were Chinese, share this with them and lead them into faith, into relationship with Jesus. The acknowledgement of man, this is number seven from Don Richardson's list. Acknowledgement of man's need of some further revelation that will take man into relationship with God. I remember hearing a story when I was young about a missionary who went to a, uh, a remote village and he and his uh, companion were, were riding horses through uh, and, and finally come upon the, um, the village. Now, back in that day, it was uh, quite unique for people of a different skin tone to come and to your village. And so as these individuals were coming, these missionaries were coming, the, the leaders rushed out and pulled them off of their horses. And they thought, oh, we're done for, for sure. We are done for. And they reach out and they grab the, the leading fellow or the older missionary's hand and they look at it and then with great disappointment, let it go. And the missionary thought, oh, goodness, what, what just happened? And through his interpreter, he said, will you please ask the, the village elder what that was all about? And the village elder then through the interpreter said, we have in our stories that one day there would be visitors coming from the outside who look different than us. And that he would have a hole in his hand. 
And obviously, you're not it. And so the missionary, really quick on his thinking, says, I'm not the one with holes in my hands, but the one with holes in his hands sent me to tell you he loves you. And he brought the scripture that they were waiting for, that man could be reconciled back to God. One more story. Um, Just before COVID happened, I was uh, with a... With a partner, we bring training of entrepreneurship to people in Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, India right now. And, and part of the reason we do that is because we share with them that God created them to be creative and to solve their economic problems. Often they just don't have a plan and they fail or they don't have access to, to startup funds. So we help with that. And it's very special. This last year we saw 12 businesses start up. Uh, three of them were honey businesses. One of them was milk chilling station. And it's all their ideas. And it's super cool to see poverty broken. Well, as we were waiting and we were in one, one village called Narok, uh, we, were, we were sitting there and enjoying people as they were walking by. And an old man came walking by and he had books that he was selling. And, all right, well... Sir, what book are you selling? He goes, oh, it's a book of the history of the Maasai. These are the Maasai people that we were with. And so I said, okay, I'd love to take one. I'd love to learn. And he says, and I'm the author of it. Oh, really? Will you sign the book, please? And so he signed the book. And while we were driving, I was uh, sitting in the back reading this book, learning about their culture and the customs and why. They, they believe that God, uh, that they came out of a crater and, uh, and as they came out, that they came out with cattle, and God made them to be the cattle people of the world. That's why uh, cattle for the Messiah is so important. They may have dozens of cattle, but they're still in poverty because they don't sell or, or manage that. But the prestige is tremendous to have cattle. But they have another story, and that's what stopped me in reading this book, that there was an old man who was at the end of his years, And he had two sons. And in their traditional, their story, one son comes to his father one day and says, Father, will you give me your blessing before I die? And the younger son hears what's going on. And so he goes to his mom and says, Mom, what are we going to do? And she says, while he's away, go in and, and get the blessing your father can't see. And he goes in and he steals the blessing. Well, where did you read that before? God has placed eternity in the hearts. It's wonderful. Finally, how can the world be reminded that they are created in the image of God? By seeing God's reflection through his people, through you, through Christians. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all, With unveiled faces, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image. We're reflecting him from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So all of us who have that veil removed when we come to relationship with God, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Reflect to whom? To the world around us. 
And the Lord who is spirit. The Lord, okay? Not your good deeds, not you trying hard, but the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Did you see that? It's the the spirit of Christ in you that will make you look more like Jesus. So what's our positioning then? How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Colossians 3.10 says it this way. We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator, of our creator. Ephesians 4.24 says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does Paul mean when he says put off? He's, what he's saying is to take off the old self, all the stuff that God's forgiven you, don't put it on again. Anything that wouldn't look good on Jesus, don't put on. It's that simple. Take it off and throw it away. And if you need help with some of these things, well, you got the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. Paul's got some other great lists. You can go discover those for yourself of what those things are to take off, but then also to put on. Put on. One great way to put on the new man is to do it with others. Talk to Pastor Nancy and get into a compass group in the fall. Spend time in his word. Get to know him and spend time in prayer. And you will notice that you are looking more and more like Jesus. And he's reflecting more and more of himself to your family, to your workplace, and to the world around us. Then, like Paul, we can say God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to reflect him so well and to say to a broken world, be reconciled to God. Because God made Jesus the ultimate reflection who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become and reflect the righteousness of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We we sometimes forget in Genesis 1 that the whole plan and pattern and purpose was, was put right there, that we created in the image of God have an opportunity to reflect you, to be like you, to shine you to all of creation. We get it. We get it that there's a battle and an attack ever since Genesis 3 on, but we know that's not the end of the story because in Revelation it says, and we will rule and reign with you ultimately. But in the meantime, we pray your kingdom come. We pray your will be done. And that's done as we reflect you. So would you help us to put off everything that doesn't reflect you well and to put on so that we can do what you intended us to do, be image bearers. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?